Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, welcome everyone to episode 19, and this is part two of our cesarean section podcast. And it's a good thing that we split it up, isn't it, Pat? Because it was quite long, the first one. Yeah, sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> 40 minutes. <laughs> I hope it was riveting. Yes, I, I don't know. We're trying to keep podcasts to like 20, 30 minutes, and that one just snuck over. Snuck over. Big topic. It is a big topic, and it's it's important topic, you know, to get out there, I think, you know, so... So here we are recording part two, which is recovery from a cesarean section. And uh, we're actually recording them back to back because we're going away. Yeah, (laughs) we're batching. (laughs) And we have to make sure there was plenty of uh, material to come out while we're away. Yeah, we are ridiculously excited about going away, aren't we? Very excited. So it's not even straight holiday. It's conference and holiday. Yeah, yeah. We carefully plan these holidays, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah, it's six nights away, but... Just perfect to find a little window where nobody was due. Yeah, no babies. And there was, um, yeah, a chance to get away and learn something and, and have a bit of a break. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, so we're going to the sunny Gold Coast and then on to Byron Bay. Very, very excited. <laughs> All right. Oh, dear. Oh, we'll, we'll try and um, keep our excitement under wraps a little bit. So, Patty, you were telling me a little bit about this uh, couple that had been listening to our podcast again. Yeah, how great is this? Yeah. So I just really like to send a, a shout out to these people. Let's call them uh, Bill and Sharon. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, who who came in the other day and and they needed uh, some ovulation induction, and they were just finishing my sentences for me because they'd listened to the podcast on <laughs> on ovulation induction and knew and knew it all already. Yeah, good. Oh, this is sweet. This is sweet. Yeah. fantastic. Nice. So um, that, it was just just a pleasure to chat about about that process with some people who were super well-informed already. Yeah. Um, so let me think. That's – oh, wow, that's early. That's episode two, how to become an ovulation ninja. And I suppose if everybody's listening to the cesarean section, they're already pregnant, so they don't need that episode. <laughs> but maybe send send your friends along if, if that's what uh, they're up to. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, again, you know, this is part two, how to recover from a cesarean section. Yes, you listened last week on on why you might need a cesarean section. Yep. Um, and if you're here again this week listening to this one, well, good on you because this is another step to being sort of really well prepared for your baby's birth. Um, and we would like to congratulate you on that. Yes, by by sort of considering in the in the overall uh, total of everything you learn during a pregnancy to learn a little something about cesarean section because that might happen. Yeah. So last week we left you with your baby snuggling on your chest, skin-to-skin contact, um, if, you know, of course, if the baby signs are all good and you can do that, and the obstetrician is busy still putting you back together again. The finishing touches. <laughs> the finishing on touches, the, yeah. On yeah. the nice, neat stitching. Yeah, so we thought about, well, we thought we would talk about what happens next, so. 
Well, in that sort of early phase, um, uh, what what we like to do at my hospital is keep that family unit together. So mum and partner and baby back to the recovery room together, start up breastfeeding. It helps to promote breastfeeding if we let the baby find the find its way to the nipple uh, straight away. Yeah, and your nipple, your nipple, your mid, <laughs> your midwife is helping you with this. Yeah, you know, don't don't feel like you've been left on your own. Your, no. your midwife's with you the whole way to the recovery room, yeah. and then at, yeah. in the recovery room. Absolutely, and and uh, and and that. That um, stimulation of the nipple doesn't only help to promote the early stages of uh, breastfeeding, but uh, it helps to prevent postpartum hemorrhage as well. If the nipple's being stimulated, then the uterus contracts harder. Yeah, right. And, and the contracting uterus uh, won't bleed. Oh, I just, I just remember the, you know, that's when the, oh, this is liquid gold as they're starting to get the <laughs> colostrum. <laughs> it is liquid gold. Yeah. Uh, and then after you leave the recovery room, what happens? Well, oh, well, firstly, how long are you there for? I can't even remember. Oh, you might be in the recovery for an hour or so yeah. and then go back if everything's normal and then back up to the postnatal ward where women have already had their baby up. Yeah. And at that point, sometimes for the first night or so, in some hospitals, you'll be in a room that's closer to the um, nurse's stationery. Oh, I remember that. And it's a bit noisy, people. Yeah, it can yeah. be noisy. They do like a chat. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes just I don't know what the hospital architects are up to, but that is that will often be a crappy room. Yeah, compared to the other nice rooms that are more like a suite. Yeah, I think when our little two were born, you might have been there because they were your third and fourth sections, and that someone would probably be keeping a closer than average eye on. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Uh, I think I was there for the other two as well because one there was a sort of an emergency cesarean and and I remember being in this room right next to the nurse's station when I was exhausted. Yeah, and all the machines going beep. <laughs> beep, and, beep yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, good. And um, you're still numb from the epidural, aren't you? Yeah, so what they put down the epidural is a, is a combination of some local anaesthetic that makes you numb for the operation and also some morphine. Yes. Goes down there as well. And, and that morphine provides very effective pain relief for about the first day or so. Yeah. You need that cocktail of drugs too, don't you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, um, people, um, will report feeling a little bit, uh, uh, numb for quite a while. And then eventually the motor block wears off and your legs come back. Yeah. You can yeah. start, you know, moving your legs around and. Yeah. Mm. But often on that first day, because of the spinal morphine, the, the pain levels are low. Yeah. And they'll often be worse on the second day. Yes. Uh, yeah. You, it's a false sense of, uh, security a little bit. You, oh, this is not too bad. It's yeah. a bit like, it's a bit like when our oldest two had, uh, their tonsils out and we went to, you know, out, out yeah, of yeah. recovery and they're in their room and they're basically swinging from the, yeah, <laughs> the totally rails. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> totally fine. Saying, this is fantastic. A couple of days later. No, no. no, no. We thought, oh, yes, this is going to hurt badly. All right. So you, you, you're starting to feel a little bit. Um, like you can move your legs. What hour does that sort of happen at? I can't remember. Oh, so if you had a, a planned Caesar in the morning by late, by late that afternoon, or uh, you would start to get some motor control back again. Yeah. But usually not enough to get up and take yourself to the toilet. So usually the catheter's still in and, um, we'd spend that whole day in bed, get up the next morning. And I remember I hated the catheter the first couple of times. Second time, uh, third and fourth time, I thought, oh, this is, this is fabulous. I don't have to get up. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you need a catheter for the, for the operation itself yes. because that keeps the bladder small and out of the way. So we can, we can open the uterus and get the baby out. Don't want to find a, a full bladder there blocking our path. And then the spinal block also means that, um, you can't, uh, uh, get up to go to the toilet. So, so you've got to keep the bladder empty 
mm. all of that day. And, um, yeah, that, that is your friend. And then the, the next morning, as soon as, uh, as soon as your, um, legs are, got your sea legs back again, then, then take Catherine out and, and take yourself to the toilet. Yeah. And they really, all the midwives, they really do encourage you to get up quite early, don't they? You know, as yeah. soon as you have that movement back in your legs, you, you, you can get up and have a little, Stumble, walk. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, early mobilisation is uh, really in practice right across the surgical uh, world these days. Amongst all the good things it does is that it helps prevent deep venous thrombosis. So uh, back in the day, we used to do an operation and then leave people in bed for a week. And uh, oddly enough, they found that that blood would would pull a bit in people's legs, clot, and and that was a serious complication. Turns out, if you get up and about much earlier then that's much, much safer for you. Yeah, and we're not talking about you getting up and running laps around the hospital ward. We're no. just, you know, this is you wandering to the toilet and back again. That's about yeah, it. That's yeah. about it, yeah. yeah. Um, and so you hear a lot about women getting ready to go or whatever two, three days after caesarean section. I think we were there for four to five days and that was probably about right for me. About on the fourth day, I was getting a little bit tired of being in the hospital, but um, I certainly needed to be there. But what's your gold standard of care? Well, there's a different. There's some difference between private and public in this discussion. Uh, to be honest, um, there's a, there's usually a lot more bed pressure in public wards. Mm. I think I think give or take, we do send women having their first baby by vaginal birth or cesarean section home a bit soon. In the, in the public sector. Um, but that's a resource allocation uh, problem. And then, uh, in the private sector, we've got a bit, a little bit more leeway and can be, uh, I think, perhaps, perhaps more confident that, that that woman is, has really got it and, and knows exactly how to look after that baby and how to safely take that baby home before we discharge. Mm. Uh, what day are you thinking here? Oh, I think, I think in an, you know, in an ideal world, we'd send people after a section home after four days. Yeah. And if you go home earlier, it, you've, you've got to know what you're going home to. So if you're going home earlier than that and you're going home to a house full of kids, yep. you know, it's really tough. Yeah, so that, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. the pe- Sometimes people say, I hate being in the hospital. I want to go home straight away. Well, I guess the ideal person for that would be somebody who's had at least one section before and knew what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. But if they've had one section before, there's a toddler at home. Yes, yeah. So that person, I'm all, I'm all, I'm all, I, I always say the hospital's for working at, not being a patient. You know, I, if I was, if I'd had an operation, I'd want to go home soon. Yeah. I'd want to go home early as well. But I, I think that if we're going to look at really early discharge from cesarean section, we need a lot of support. Yeah, that's right. And put and be ready for that at home. Like you've got family at home or yep. your partner's there at home and, um, and knows what his or her duty is and, yeah, it, it's really important to think of not just the birth, but actually what what your plans are for when you bring the baby home the first couple of days. Absolutely. Um, speaking about your partner, I just I always felt that it was really great to have you there with me the first night, maybe the second night, then you could go after that. But sure. <laughs> yeah, look, I think that's right. On the first night, you know, even if you've got a really great setup in the hospital with a double bed or a fold out chair that the partner can sleep on, for that first night. You're going to need help mm. just getting stuff and getting the baby um, from a hospital crib to your arms. And that's dad's job to, to get up and do that on those first night yep. when, 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 when mum's literally got a um, uh, block still working. Yeah. And uh, second night, 
mum's more able to do a few things. And then, yeah, after that. You're just a nuisance. nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> Never a nuisance. It's all right. Um, and uh, one thing that I didn't realise is that I, I, I definitely, I can't remember my first pregnancy, what it was that they gave me, but I really hated being on one of the pain killers that they gave me afterwards. It made me feel very sort of giddy and dizzy in the head. And I think being in the hospital, getting to know what pain relief you need too is ideal as well. Yeah, look, I think I, we don't want people to be to be scummy with the pain relief. It's there for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's not only – operations these days aren't, aren't – it's not something you're supposed to try and endure and put up with pain as if someone's going to come around and give you a badge and say, well done for – having your gallbladder out and having no pain relief. Part of the safety of operations is that we treat pain properly so that people aren't lying there in dreadful pain and not moving because they're in pain and developing blood clots because they're not moving. Mm. So using um, pain relief um, is part of good management, even if you feel tough yeah. enough to, 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 to wait it out. Uh, and some will suit you and some won't. Um, but it's a, it's nice to take note of the things that you've found good for pain relief and take note of the things you hated so that if you ever need another operation in the future, you can tell the anaesthetist. Yeah, well, I, I better go back and, um, what, look at my op notes or something. Yeah. <laughs> no. I think that it's, it's an interesting time about, and, you know, talking about pain because people's pain is so vastly different. And actually, pain for me in the four cesarean sections was very different as well. Yep. So I, I don't know. What what do you see? Do you think that most people are, have horrendous pain, okay pain, no I pain? Think, I think people's pain is very, in general, very well managed, very well managed. The, I think the major breakthrough was spinal morphine so that you could have a lot of pain relief in the first day or so without needing to take that morphine systemically with its obvious side effects. So that that, that made a big difference. And then the other pain relievers... Some people need a lot. Some people need a little. Mm. Yeah. I, I think in my first uh, cesarean section after like day two or three, I, I didn't need anything weird. However, for the fourth section, I really did need pain relief, didn't I? Like <laughs> I yeah, was I calling think, you during the day and saying, yeah. oh, I think I need some more of that stuff. <laughs> some more of that stuff. So I think that um, that just goes to show it's different every time. Yeah. Plus there's more tissue trauma in a fourth section than there is in a first. Oh, yeah. 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 So from the, surgeon, from the obstetrician's point of view, the first section's easy. Tissue planes just all give way and it's uh, very easy to get down to the uterus and open the uterus and get the baby out. By the time you're up to your fourth section, there's a lot more scarring that you have to go through. Things that need to be carefully cut through, moved out of the way, scarring that needs to be burnt through with the diathermy and so forth, and there's it's, it's there's more trauma. Right. Lucky we didn't go for that fifth then. Lucky. Lucky. Um, and I know that this is a question that gets asked all the time, um, and because it's there's so many answers to it. But when can I start driving after my cesarean section? Yeah, my rule is three weeks. I know some, some people recommend up to six, but I think that uh, that after three weeks, most people will be fine to drive. And people talk about their insurance. And yeah, to be careful, you should probably check with your insurer. Yeah. But I don't think many of them would have a problem if three, four weeks had gone by. Yeah. Remember those rules are more about everybody else than they are about you. What do you mean? Well, if you've had a general anaesthetic, you don't have for a cesarean section, and that's part of my point. If you've had a general anaesthetic for your big operation, uh, your judgment's impaired for, for, for a fair while afterwards. In fact, longer than we used to think. And then if you add to that that you're still on some pain relievers and add to that that you're still in some pain, then you're just not a safe driver out there Yeah, for everybody else's sake as well as yours. So if you feel fine, maybe you're not fine, 
and you should be and out of respect for all the other drivers on the road, we should be waiting until we are fine. Right. Oh, I didn't realise that. I thought it. I thought it was a little bit with the cesarean section. Is it about where the um, seatbelt goes? Oh, less important, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so after three weeks of an operation that wasn't a general anaesthetic in the first place, I think most people would be safe to drive, but you should, you should check with your, um, insurer that they don't have a rule about that. I actually wanted to just tweak, um, something when in, off in my mind about our last podcast and we talked about historically cesarean sections were done under GA, uh, general anaesthetic. Occasionally they're still done under GA. I know that this is sort of a segue, but they're still done under general anaesthetic. A few. Very rarely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A few. So I just wanted to say that, you know, that is an unusual um, cesarean section, but it still does happen. Yeah. There's some all sorts of special circumstances where that might be required. And probably the most common is a really, really lights and sirens emergency where the anaesthetist feels that they can pop you off to sleep faster than they could get in a spinal. Yeah. Okay. All right. So back to uh, recovering from a cesarean section. So in your recovery, I'm sure, uh, what are the red flags? What am I looking for? Well, I think that uh, what I sort of advise to people is when you go home, you should be basically on an upward trajectory of mobility and pain relief requirements. So if you're needing more and more pain relief instead of less and less with each passing day, then that's worth reporting to your team. The amount of bleeding is relevant. That was such a surprise to me that I still bled after my first cesarean section uh, because I just thought you guys sucked it all out. Like all the lining was gone. Like why was yeah. I still bleeding? No, it doesn't really work that way. Okay. Um, so, um, yep. So the uterus after a baby will bleed no matter what. And uh, even if someone has a cesarean section where they haven't laboured at all, the blood in the uterus after the operation will still make its way down through the cervix and down the vagina. Right. And uh, uh, sometimes at cesarean section, we'll put a, a finger through the cervix from above to make sure that there's a, a good pathway. good pathway to drain that blood. Yeah, right. So that, um, so that you should have the same, you know, you should have blood loss like any other woman for about six weeks. And a, a useful uh, measure can be if it's more or less than a normal period. Okay. Yeah. So it shouldn't be consistently more than a normal period. Right. Yeah. And in, and you do pass some clots though, don't you? Yeah, you can do, especially in that first day or two. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And when when is uh, sorry, this is too much information. Um, but but what when is it too the clot is too big or too that oh, you need to alert somebody? That well, that's that's sort of in hospital stuff. So yeah. we we would be watching for those sort of things in those first few days. Mm, I remember the midwives sort of always asking the size of the blood clot and all right. Um, and what about the actual uh, incision spot? The Scar, the wound. Yeah, so it should be getting um, you know, progressively less painful. Yeah. And once you um, have that initial dressing off, perhaps after about five days, and then take the little steri strips off perhaps a day, of, a few days after that, then it should just look like a straight line on your skin. And uh, the things that we're looking for, if it gets puffy and sore, that's infection. And dehiscence, if, if part of it seems to come apart a little bit. And obviously we'd contact our team straight away if either of those things were happening. Right. Um, and uh, just in protection of the wound, that's, you know, I could highly recommend getting very big undies to yeah. go up over. Yeah, yeah, big undies. And the other thing I really love is those is those um, cesarean section recovery shorts. Yeah. yeah. They're really dear. They but, are. Yeah, for a pair of shorts. But they, they really work. Yeah. So they provide that sort of moderate level of compression that winds, winds need to go well and a feeling like it's not, a, you know, insides aren't about to fall out. And I found I could only put them on probably on about day, I mean, a week after the 
there. Yeah, yeah. some people can put them on at the start, but yeah, they can yeah. Be, they can be sort of put on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the physio pops in, don't they? And they give you that little bit of um, tubey grip. Well, some yep. some hospitals would have this that the physio comes to visit and and will help you out with with some compression. So, yeah. yeah. So I think in a perfect world, I mean, people get seen by the physio in the hospital. Yeah. And I think in a perfect world, uh, everyone would get seen by a physio outside the hospital as well. Yeah. Even oh, if, absolutely. Even yeah. if they were going well. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't happen quite enough. No. And and at what week do you think somebody should come and see a physio? Look, I think if someone's had a problem before, then maybe earlier, but otherwise around about six weeks back yeah. when you check back in with your care team. Yeah, when you're thinking about maybe sort of starting exercise again and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, before you go back to the gym. Yeah. And before you go back to lifting and things you talk with the physio about how to how to do that in a safe way. Yeah. You're listening to the kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. <laughs> we get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? <laughs> but, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Are there any other red flags in recovery? We should be looking out for any of those other postnatal risk factors that could happen to anybody, no matter how their baby was born. Yeah. You know, things like a you know, terrible headache, blood pressure problems that go on, postnatal depression and so forth. But with specific reference to cesarean section, there's a high risk of deep venous thrombosis. And that's the DVT that starts in your legs. And people sort of worry about their legs if they're a bit swollen. Well, it can be perfectly normal to have one or both legs swollen after the baby's born. And that's just some of that fluid that collects during the pregnancy that hasn't circulated yet. So the thing about deep venous thrombosis is it's painful. So if you've got a clot in your leg, it'll almost certainly be painful. Oh, that's a good distinction. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, my feet would puff up during the pregnancy and it would, they just returned to normal as soon as the baby was born, but my face would puff up, wouldn't it? <laughs> Afterwards, yeah. yeah. So so that's, um, I think that's that, yeah, the fluid you had mm. in the first 24 hours in, intravenously. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, deep venous thrombosis is, is usually very painful. So people would know the difference between that and just the puffiness they had from being pregnant. Yeah. What I want to go on to talk about now is um, all the things that aren't your friend just after having a cesarean section. And, and this is, you know, when you need to sneeze or cough. Laughing is also troublesome. Um, yeah. uh, getting out of bed, your first poo. <laughs> yeah. So I think the hospital physios are really great at that. So they're talk, mm. to, telling you how to brace. Yes. And put your hand over the wound mm. and then cough or sneeze. Yes. Or push your poo out. 
Yeah. Because uh, in the, it's, it's those early days when you feel like if you do those things, you might come apart. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely had a pillow close by. Like, you know, if you know that you're going to sneeze or cough or even laugh, I used to put the pillow just over the, the wound and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to that first poo thing, I think that one of the things we should be doing in the hospital is managing that preventatively. Yes. So if somebody's really worried about that, so okay, fine. Well, you know, in addition to your... Hospital food might be might not be quite what you normally have at home, so let's have some fruit as well, yeah. or lactulose, you know, the drink that can help uh, keep your poo soft, so that um, when you do go, you don't have to push too hard. Mm. This, if this is your first baby and you're listening to this podcast, like subsequent babies, you talk about poo quite a lot, but the first time, it, it is, it's a bit sort of, um, I was really fearful. Because you just thought, how's it all going to work? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think a lot of people do talk about it as if it's a major issue. But, yeah, I think what I did uh, to begin with was in my first meal after the caesarean section, I just ate too much. Like it's small, uh, nutritious meals that are, you know, full of fresh fruit, fresh veggies, drinking plenty of water, which kind of like some of the hospital food doesn't lend itself to that, does it? No, we could probably do a better job with that. I think that, um, yeah, that's right. Don't, yeah, in the first 24 hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw a um, post of a postnatal woman gets in a Japanese hospital and I thought, oh, wow, they've got that right. Like it just was highly nutritious, highly delicious. Yeah, and I thought, gosh, that's what we need. Absolutely. Yeah, bring in good food for women that have just had their babies. Mm. Getting out of bed is a big issue too when you've had a cesarean. Yeah, so that's what that thing over the that swings out over the bed is for, so that you can hold on to that um, the hoist, uh, the hoist, yeah. yeah, and use your um, biceps to pull yourself up to a seated position, yeah, rather than trying to use your abs in that in those early days, yeah, yeah. Um, in our Grow My Baby program, we've actually got our wonderful physiotherapist Belinda Matthews, who's done a video series on on just posture and simple everyday movements that we do, that if we do them correctly, can really help in terms of pain and and just keeping you mobile uh, so that's worthwhile she, one of the things that she says is you know getting out of bed you sort of have to swing both your legs over to the edge yep and then you're using your elbow to push yourself up um and yep. so it's important and be closer to the edge before you stand stand up oh you especially if you're be. on a low couch yep. you know really wiggle your bottom forward to the right on the edge of the couch yep. before you even attempt to get up yep. yeah and because a lot of this is a little bit counterintuitive you don't know this for a fact before you do it then the that sort of hands-on advice from a physio can be so valuable. Yeah. Um, another thing that I found really, oh, look, it was hard, is that when you've got the Caesar wound and you're trying to breastfeed, uh, you just become the queen of pillow positioning. You know, this is where your partner's going to be really helpful. Yep. Position those pillows just so you can not be straining to hold your baby as you're breastfeeding if that's what you're choosing to do. Yep. yep. So in that first, at least in that, you know, first few weeks even, no matter how your baby's been born, you need you need sort of help with feeding so you can sit in the feeding chair and not have to get up every time you think of what you don't have on you. Yeah. Um, so that someone, yeah, someone's there to help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's a good point. For those women that are bringing home their baby to a house full of kids and toddlers still need lots of cuddles and you can't lift the toddlers. No, that's absolutely not in that first six weeks. So, you know, a, a, a one or two-year-old's too... Heavy. Yeah. So we need to learn how to get down to them or have them come up to us, like be lifted up to us. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a um, 
you know, there's a way to do all of this in a safer way. Yeah. yeah. But our, our first, um, you know, instinct is just to, you know, especially if a toddler's crying. Oh gosh, if they've hurt themselves and yeah. all you want to do is comfort them by lifting them up by and giving them a cuddle. Yeah. 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 So we have the cuddle couch. Um, so we've got this green couch at home and whenever the uh, boys, even now I do it because they're getting so heavy. So now I sit on the couch. And I say, come to me. Yep. And they climb onto my lap and then we have our little cuddle. And and that's really important when you're recovering from a cesarean section when you come home with your toddler. Yep, or from a vaginal birth. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, you know, this is probably the most important uh, thing about recovery from any birth. We're talking about cesarean section here. But it, it's rest. Yeah, you need tons of rest. You need tons of rest. And and even in with our fourth child, so... I was feeling really good. Remember this? Um, we were about two, three weeks in, and we thought we'd go for a walk. Down the street. Down the street. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up doing about a 30-minute walk and ended up at Maya, and we're there just shopping. Actually, we're shopping for you. We. <laughs> this is a shameful story. <laughs> and I was trying to find um, a shirt, and I'm pushing the double pram, and all of a sudden I thought, what am I doing? I feel faint. Uh, and so I think we had to get a taxi home. But it, we were completely kind of in a brain fade about what I should be doing. Yeah, I think sometimes you just, yeah, you do too much and you think that your experience from yeah. the previous baby is going to, oh, you know, I know I all know about all this. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, need, you need rest. And uh, I think we've, got a, we've still got a bit to go as a community working out exactly how to really properly support women when they bring babies home. Yeah. It's still a really big deal. It really is. I think we've done a disservice to ourselves in a way about this. We can have it all and we can jump back to work. And actually, it's not right, I, I think, for a lot of women. Uh, it's that nurturing that you need after you've just nurtured a whole new human being. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. So, well, I mean, regardless of when people choose to get on with this and that or go back to work, the first that first six weeks, yeah, the underrated bit is just rest. Yeah. Yeah. Because lots of things are still happening, like your uterus is still shrinking down to size. You're yeah. still trying to establish breastfeeding if that's what you're choosing to do. You're still getting to know your baby. You and your partner are trying to work out what this new relationship looks like. Yep. like so this is a 24-hour – well, it's a full-time job yes. just being a mum in those early days. And it goes 24 hours a day. Yeah. And put on top of that, that you're recovering from a, an operation. Yeah. So the, that's right. So in addition to all of that, which is common to everybody, there's there's the recovery from surgery for women who've uh, had a section. Yeah. And so we're sort of tiptoeing around this emotional recovery that kind of needs to happen. What, what do you think is an ideal situation? Yeah, this is a tricky one. And I, I think when it comes to section, it really depends on the circumstances. So for the emotional recovery, I think that I think... Broadly speaking, people might go a little bit better if it's not a big shock. Mm. So um, if I've got someone who was diagnosed with a placenta previa on a, or a low-lying placenta on a 20-week on a scan, and when we rescanned at 32 weeks, it was still totally you know, major previa covering the opening. And that woman's essentially known all along that she's going to need a section. So she had plenty of time to, to, to adapt to that. And I think that she may emotionally recover a little bit better than the, than the person for whom it was a massive shock on, on the day. You know, pre pregnancy perfect, normal body weight, I'm totally healthy and fine, and yet still for whatever reason, it, she, the, the labour ended in, in caesarean section. And I think sometimes those people have got the added burden of, of a more difficult emotional recovery as well. Yeah. That all comes at the same time as you've got all of the, the tasks related to being a, a brand new mum. 
for my first, and, and I've talked about it quite a few times, if everyone's sick of hearing about it, just tell us, but um, uh, for my first birth, I did feel all of that. And I, I found one of the best things for me was to have a birth debrief. Yes. Um, it was in a public system, so I couldn't actually talk to any of the caregivers that I had on the day, but I had a debrief with a midwife after. Yeah. Um, and it was good. I don't think it completely resolved how I felt about it, but mm-hmm. it definitely put things into perspective Yeah, um, where I felt like it was, I started to shift my thinking about, well, that was the outcome. The outcome was a, a positive outcome. That you were both well. That we were both well, yeah. yeah. Yep. Rather than the process. Yeah. So I think debriefs are really good. I think that there's definitely some good ways to handle them and some bad ways to handle yes. them. Yes. Yes. My midwife was very good. Yeah. She, I'm, I'll give her a shout out. It was Rhea Dempsey. And she was very good because I think what she didn't do was blame the caregiver. There's. Oh, from the day. From the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a caregiver, I appreciate that. I think that um, it's really somebody's fault. It's mostly how things unfold for various reasons. But, um, you know, in Australia in 2019, there's really a, it really happens as a result of a mistake or an error of some type. So and if somebody feels that, perhaps it's the communication that was lacking. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's the value of a debrief. One of the things I think gets said at debriefs a little too often and is not actually that good is to say at least you and the baby are fine. Yeah. Because people come into having a baby in Australia in 2019 fully expecting to be alive at the end of the process. Yes. And it's, and it's cold comfort if you are grieving that you didn't have a vaginal birth to be told at least you're alive. Yeah. You know, so th- there, are w- there are ways of doing this that are better than others and there's a bit of a science behind a good debrief. When my patients come back to see me, my private patients come back to see me for the six-week review, I, I kind of know already, I already know the exact circumstances of everyone's birth and I know already who's likely to, f- to be potentially upset about that and who is likely to have taken it in their stride or which ones that the cesarean section was always something that was fairly likely or or certain. So from that very first six-week review, I'm trying to drop in a plan for next time. Yes. And I've actually actually found that to be useful. So you're talking about things such as, um, you know, what what their possibility for their second or third or whatever child might be. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah, and so exactly. So people will turn to you and go, oh my, I haven't even remotely turned my mind to, to next time. And I'll say, obviously not, you've got tons on your plate. However, are you aware that there's a thing called VBAC, a vaginal birth after Caesar? Are you aware that the circumstances of the labour that you just had six weeks ago that ended in caesarean section for you are unlikely to happen again and you'd be a good candidate for VMAC? Yeah. Just drop it in. Just drop it in. That's yeah. right, and and I think it's the potential, like giving somebody hope. If that's if they were really keen on a vaginal birth, yeah, um, yeah, it's good to have that hope for the next Absolutely. time. And Plus, some and some people are, and some people aren't. Yes, some people just go, "No, I'll just have another section." Yeah, <laughs> I'm going all right. And sometimes I think it, it, when you're talking about that, uh, so people in a public system, who do you think the best person to do that debrief might be? Well, I think in the in the public system, it, it depends what the outcome was. Um, I think that if there's any sort of really poor outcome that needs to be discussed, like a, an injury to mother or baby or a stillbirth situation or anything like that, it's senior. It's senior, yeah. 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 So you're asking for an, a consultant obstetrician or... Um, yep, and a, and a senior midwife. Yep. Yeah, and a seniority is critical in that situation because uh, there's there's a way of doing it that's a lot better than... 
than other ways. And the person needs to be able to respond with compassion and uh, accurate assessment of what happened and uh, medically accurate advice about how we might do it differently next time or how it might go differently next time. Yeah. All right. Well, are we going to put some things in the um, show notes? We might just put down those uh, ideas that we had about, you know, how to recover from the cesarean section, such as, you know, what to do when you need to sneeze and so forth. So we'll put that into the show notes so you've got something to uh, refer back to. Other than that, everything on both part one and part two will be on our website, which is growmybaby.com.au. So jump on there. All the other podcasts are up there as well. So other than that, it's bye from us for now. We'll see you next time.